We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Name More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Coming at you on Monday afternoon, the Wolves beat the Pacers. Sunday afternoon, 129 to 120. We're now just two games away from the All-Star break. Uh, The Wolves have a back-to-back here on Tuesday and Wednesday against Charlotte and Toronto. Then we get a little bit of a break, which I felt like was a good time to kind of stop and uh, just look at where the Wolves are in the landscape of the league. Matt Moore of the Action Network, who I'm sure you all already follow um, on Twitter, at Hardwood Proxism. Matt, you're here to chop it up. Uh, I convinced you to come on to talk about the Wolves' defense that's been pretty, pretty bad lately. But let's start on a more positive note. You've been you've been high on this team since the summer, uh, kind of similarly to me, like mocking the 34.5 over-under win total that was set for this team uh, months ago. Before you watched this team play at all this season, why were you intrigued by them and why did that seem like a pretty obvious proposition in your mind? So I think it, there's a, it's always a combination. And I think you start with the fact of you take the, that, that last section of the year and the games in which they weren't tanking and you look at, okay, how did they perform? What was their priority? And obviously like they chose like not to tank, right? Like they were trying to actually win, which I actually, to me, that signals something and it signals something to the team, which is like, Hey, we actually believe that you guys are, are not as bad as this record. Um, and we want to actually try and improve with you like that vote of confidence. I think players respond to that. I have an endless amount of respect and trust in Chris Finch. Um, I covered him in the G league and that's like as far back as I go with him. And then he was in Denver. Uh, and then I, I know what he did with New Orleans. So just like his track record all together and knowing where he has come from and the people that have worked with him and how highly they speak of him. I had a lot of confidence that it was like, look, and when you looked at it last year, honestly, you could say they had a roster built to do one thing and they had a coach that wanted them to do another. And that coach was beloved for a number of reasons, but to me, there was a pretty obvious upgrade there. So going into the season with Finch's coach, and then on top of it, you know, the decision for Vanderpool to leave, Vanderpool is an extremely well-respected official or uh, assistant in this league. Like everyone and everyone thinks he's going to be a great head coach, and the players love him, and I'm sure all that's true. Vanderpool has also been consistently an advocate of drop. And I'm of the belief yes. that 
if you do not have like a high level system of defenders that drop coverage is usually going to get you killed. And even then in the playoffs, it's usually going to get you killed. And when I watch that team, I watch cat trying to recede and trying to back off and maintain that space and being uncertain much the same way that I saw Nicole Jokic struggle in much the same environment early on in his career. And having talked to the Nuggets officials about why they changed the scheme with Jokic gave me a lot of confidence. When I watched Cat, I, I never understood this because I was always like, dude, same. Why not? I, I, I don't know. watch Cat and go like, oh, can't move. You know, he's just sluggish and slow footed. I'm like, he's crazy athletic and nimble. Like, let him play at the level. And so when they started saying that was more of the change, I got a lot more in even then. And then you just kind of looked at it and say, look, you know, they have a trend, a foundational piece in cat. Um, they have shooters. They have guys that can rebound. They have some veterans on the bench. Like it's not a super young team. That's like, doesn't know what it's doing. D'Angelo was a question mark and that's worked out well. Like there's been things that were coin flips that worked out in their favor. Um, my biggest thing this season, honestly, been I was impressed that after that early start where they were losing, and all the quotes were like, oh, God, here we go again. Everything <laughs> I was like, I was on social media being like, just stay with it. You're fine. You're OK. Right. And I'm glad that they have. And I'm, I, I think this team is pretty good and is on the right track, even if they're not like making some sort of astronomical leap the way some teams have. So to the to the whole drop thing, I, I remember um, it was right before Summer League and Joseph Blair had been named the the Wolves Summer League head coach. So we got this chance to do a media session with him. He was also going to be Vanterpool's replacement as the defensive coordinator. And literally, we had one media session because then he ended up taking a job uh, in Washington instead. And and in that in that one conversation, I was like, so what is your feeling about Cat and this team being able to play drop? And and he goes, and Blair had been in Philadelphia previously with Embiid and when Horford was there the year before. And he goes, well, I've seen drop work. I've also seen it not work. He goes, if you look at the numbers, when we ran drop with Joel Embiid, a massive individual, it was great. He goes, Al Horford's a great defender, but he's just so much smaller than Joel Embiid. And that, he goes, to me, he actually said the word dumb. <laughs> he's like, I think it's dumb to run drop if you don't have one of those gigantic fives, you know, being there. And, and that was, I think that just summarized it so well for me in my head where I was like, man, cat is cat is more nimble than he is big. Yeah. And he's just not a huge guy. He's been listed at seven foot his whole career. He's not seven feet tall. Like you just, you know, you just one of those, whatever. He's like six ten, six eleven. He's big. He's not Embiid. You know, he's not Nurkic. He's not these guys who it makes sense to play drop with or that you even have to. And I I thought it was I thought it was so encouraging when I went to some of the practices at the beginning of the year and I'm like, "Oh, that's cat up at the level. That's an X out." You know, that's a, that's a that's the high wall. You know, th this is a this is a totally different thing. And then I asked Finch about it that day after practice and he said, "Yeah, you know, Denver is the model that we're trying to go to in terms of shifting the way we're going to guard, which Denver has this such a cool story there themselves, which you're based in Denver and you're you're at all those games. You've seen that evolution that you've been talking about where Malone, you know, 
and maybe you can explain the story. Malone asked Jokic, how do you want to play, right? Going into the 2018 season, how do you want to guard? What happened there? Yeah, so I, I, I talked to Wes Unsell for a piece on their defense a couple of years ago, and he was part of that conversation too. They went to him and they said, you know, what, what do you think about it on the defensive side? And his thing was, I don't like drop because I don't know. I'm always caught in between. Do I step up mm. to contest that mid-range jumper? Do I just stay on the backside to try and, and contain the lob? Do I stay somewhere in the, in the, in the middle zone? You have to have extremely good instincts for how to manage that. Or you have to, like you said, just be massive. Like Rudy Gobert, in part, yeah. Rudy Gobert is like the best drop defender probably in league history. Like I'll say it. He's the best drop defender in yeah. league history. Because Rudy's able to contest because he's so damn long. Like he can contest those mid-range shots and then he can recover and make a block on the lob. Like he can do all of that. Very few guys can do that. You know, Embiid even, Embiid mostly just intimidates you. Like that's a lot of it. Embiid's right. like, you better take that, that short jumper because you come in here and I'm going to, I'm going to hit you. Um, and so what they did with, with, with Jokic is they asked him, what do you want to do? And he was like, I think I can do a lot more on the attack. I want to be able to actually get up into guys. And they realized that with his quick hands, that was actually a bonus. And the model for that actually a little bit was Steph in that like Curry is not a big defender. He doesn't have a great wingspan and he's a little guy that can get blown by. But all of the guards like Harden and Curry, all these great ball handlers, they all have extremely quick hands and they know how to anticipate dribble moves. And so you're able to just disrupt the dribble. And if you do that in, in at the level, even if you don't create a turnover, you're going to get the guy to, to stop his dribble. And at that point, he's like, okay, right. I got to reset this. And that allows time for the rest of your defense to recover when it's playing three on four. And like just those little mechanisms worked really well for him in terms of, of all these things. And it was funny because at the time I was like, look, what, you know, this is before their first playoff run. I was like, well, what are you going to do when Jokic gets switched on to one of these elite ball handlers? And Wes Unsell looked at me like I was crazy. Wes was like, why would we let allow that, Matt? Like, why, why would I, why would we just be like, yeah, we're going to switch it and be like, because everybody has to switch. He's like, well, we're not like, we're just going to deny yeah. that option. And that's which was what we saw in the Portland series yeah. so much. Yeah. Right. I mean, they were so up there on Dame, but I mean, it really stretched them out. I mean, that there's some, we're pitching this scheme. Like it's some perfect answer. It's not, not a perfect answer. It's a, for a player like cat or for a player like Jokic, the theory is, and the numbers in their experience of proving out it's a better option yes. than, than drop is for these sort of guys. Yes. You're going to get exploited. I mean, Trey, Trey young two times this year has just absolutely ripped up the wolves, like high wall thing with, with cat up there, just dragging him around, finding it. And it's bing, bing. Here's a dunk for John Collins. Like guys are going, going to do that. But at the same time with Jokic, we saw for so many years getting run over just, or I was compared to cat to like a catcher's mitt. You know, it's just the guards are throwing fastballs at him and he's just there to catch it, you know, at the rim. That's not what that's not what his strength is. And we've seen this evolution. We saw the Nuggets in 2018 go from being 21st on defense the year prior up to 11th on defense that next season. And, you know, we're, we're seeing, I mean, almost that exact same thing happen this year with the Wolves, where they have made the similar leap. The opportunity cost, though of this style is what we were talking about back and forth on Twitter is that by putting cat in that position, the opportunity cost is that you're now asking your other four players to do a hell of a lot more 
to be moving far more proactively. And that worked great for the Wolves at the beginning of the season. You were like scrambling everywhere. It was it was potent. But now as we get 50, 60 games into the season, we're seeing a significant lull in the energy level of the players and the, be able, the ability to scramble around there, which I had Adam Mares on the podcast uh, before the season started. And he was like, yo, like, remember what with this defense, the middle of the year, they will get tired and they will play. They will have a bad month. And that's exactly what happened in Denver over those times, too. Correct. Yeah, they would always have this dip and you would wonder what happened. And a lot of it just is that exhaustion level. It's and it is not it's not just the guys on the weak side either. It's it's exhausting for the big because you're just asking them to move more. And especially in the case of Kat and Jokic, these are your offensive focal points, you know, and obviously being, you know, kind of taking on more of the role in. Yeah, it does help that Cat's usage is just generally down yeah. this season. I don't think I don't think that's been the problem for right. the Wolves is Cat. Right. Like it's been ball containment, particularly if Pat Bev's not playing, and it's been the other guys around. At least for now, maybe Cat's gonna hit his wall, get really tired. I haven't seen fatigue really drag him. Was that more what you thought it was in Denver? Was well, was Jokic wearing there's out? There's two things. One, I think the fatigue does hit guys, the entire team as a whole. Because it, it does take a lot of attention to detail and a lot of effort on these multiple rotations. The other thing I'd say is, um, as the season goes along, teams get sharper, especially the good teams. You mentioned Trey. Teams that understand how to hit the triggers versus this this team versus this defense yeah. will always carve you up. Like, if they understand it's bounce pass, short roll, corner. Like there's just no bang, way bang, to bang. stop it because you're either giving up a dunk to the short roll or you're giving the corner three as long as the big the big can make that pass like you mentioned portland mm -hmm. portland's entire problem is that nurkic can't do it like that's the entire problem is that nurkic is not great at passing on the move uh, in those sequences when he makes those plays that's when portland looks awesome that's when they've looked great mm -hmm. um but that's kind of the whole thing is as the season goes along i mean okay, you could just picture yeah. it. it's like low, low man comes over <laughs> Nurkic tries to make the pass and he gets a charge. Yeah. Like I, I can't tell you how many yeah, times I've seen that. So just watching Portland. But the good teams yeah. will will find those trigger mechanisms. And the other thing that you can do, which teams have hit Denver with a lot, is they'll just reject the screen. And you just yeah. you basically just say, I'm not gonna let you put the, the big out there at the edge. I'm gonna punish right. you for anticipating and I'm gonna go the other way. And now you get a breakdown in containment because one of the reasons you do this is if you do not have a guard that can get over the screen effectively. Otherwise, you would just run drop. If you got Matisse Tybel, you're just like, sure, I'm going to trust Matisse to get over the screen anyway, and he'll bug him enough to where he can't mm. hit that mid-range of the floater. But if you don't have that, then they get clearance, right? So that's part of that whole dynamic. You mentioned like it's not a cure-all. There's all these kind of dropbacks. And what everyone's really trying to do is get through the season with the most effective tactic available, which... That's why a lot of times, and you're seeing this with the Wolves, like teams wind up going either to drop or to switch because those two are way easier than trying to navigate at the level. At the level is a lot more complicated than all these other schemes. Well, and it also just helps to add to it. It, it helps to have multiple coverages. You have to. Like, that's the whole thing. In the but playoffs. the Wolves have not had multiple coverages. Yeah. They, like the whole year until the defense started sucking, they did not play multiple coverages. So part of this, and I get it from Finch's perspective, is like, well, one, we're getting tired from this scheme. Two, like, if we want to play critical games down the final 15, 20 games of the season, like, we're going to play a good team. We're probably going to have to throw something else yeah. at them. And then a playoff series, like, 
I mean, the Wolves are trending towards playing like Steph in the first round. It, you, he's going to yank you around just as much as Trey would. Yeah. You know, it's it's the same thing. So I think there's this frustration with the Wolves where they're like, why are you changing things up at all? Like the defense is dropping up like from the fan base. And it's I mean, part of me is like, OK, maybe you've gone away from it a little bit too much. But I also understand the idea of diversification of coverages just because you kind of just need to have that in your bag. Yeah. So one of the big changes that I've kind of gotten to with the league is I think that prior to, I don't know, 2012 or so, I think you could honestly, it, you know, the whole defense wins championship things. It was about how good was your defense. If your defense wasn't good, you couldn't win. If your defense was great, you could. It's an entirely different thing now where I honestly believe the big thing is, do you have the defensive answers to the question that's posed? Because every team presents Boom. you with like a different question. If you face Denver right now, you want to run drop because it allows you to put two on Jokic so you can make sure that he can't get easy, nice little buckets. You can stay up on him. And you basically dare the guards and you say, if we lose to Monte Morris, Faku Compazzo, Bones Highland, okay. We're not scared of those guys. We're scared about Jokic. Uh, if you face the Warriors, you can switch, though they're pretty good at that. Yeah, I actually think at the level, still probably the best way to challenge the Warriors because Curry gets a little scrambled when you apply pressure on him. Draymond's the best short roll weapon in the league. That's the draw. Like that's the thing with the Warriors is you play at the level of the Warriors, and you're either going to get turnover or Draymond is going to tear you to pieces. Like there's no in between. Right. Well, now you got Clay in the corner or Wiggins yeah. in the corner there too. I mean, yeah. that's like that's short roll. 45%, 45%. If you contain you know? step on ball, that's good, but you also get into a scramble situation versus Golden State, which is where they want you. Like that's why the Rockets just switched everything. That's why they built that scheme was you just right. switch everything versus the Warriors and you make them beat you one-on-one, which is not what they want to do. And if you face Dallas, right, it's a different, it's an entirely different equation. If you because we saw, and this is a good example of it. The Clippers run switch in that first matchup when he goes for 51. And poor Zubac is out there on an island. And he gets torn up. <laughs> but in the second yeah. game, Zub plays better. Like, he just plays better. They, they do the same right. thing, and they still put Zub on him, but he just plays better. And that, that's the challenge. But versus the Mavericks with Luka, what you really want to do is you want to be able to say, he's not going to know what we're hitting him with each time. We're going to blitz him. Mm-hmm. We're playing at the level. We're dropping. Like, make him make that read because it's exhausting just trying to be like, why won't you play one scheme just so I can get comfortable? Because they're always trying to adapt. You're just trying to make the, the the effort level for the best player as high as possible. Right. That's why I'm I'm intrigued by the idea of adding to the Wolves package, not because it necessarily is going to make them better defensively, but it's just going to be more options. And eventually, as again, when we you think about this long term and you think about this team, this playoffs or into the future, maybe multiple playoff series down the line. Like ultimately this, this Jokic scheme, this cat scheme, this playing at the level is a hack. It's a, it's a, it's a hack. It's not a permanent answer right. to, to, to solving, which we've been going back and forth on here. It isn't. So I, I like adding different things to your point to be able to just diversify. I will say, uh, let's take, go ahead. You know, one of the things that, that, I do think that you can go too far on is you can go here's like a funny comparison is actually the 2016 thunder. Um, okay. 
Billy Donovan tried about eight different schemes that year. And the Thunder hit this losing skid in March and people were like, are the Thunder done? Are they just going to be a first round out? Like, what's the future? KD's going to be a free agent. Of course, he wound up leaving anyway. But all this stuff happened. And then in March, um, he just simplified it. And he just like, he went back to like a basic scheme of drop, just like simplified everything. And that that kicked them into gear. The big here, why, the reason I bring that up is um, Donovan talked about it later. I, I talked to Donovan about it later and I asked him about it and he was like, I needed to understand what we could do and what we couldn't. You don't, you can't just try a bunch of different things and have different results. You need to get a real feel for what you can do and what you can't. And so I think the, the interesting question with the Wolves, and I would be really curious because of the players' comments about this. So like, do they think that they can switch and they're just tired and not playing well right oh, now? Dude. Or no, they want to switch. Yeah, they want to switch. They Every, everybody switch. wants to switch, right? Because it's easier and it allows <laughs> yeah. you to just like man up and just like guard your mm-hmm. guy. And the accountability is very high for each individual player versus I'm having to recover, you know, multiple options. And if I make a wrong move, we're, we're giving up an open shot. But the question is just like, okay, but you better figure out if you can do this. And right. doing it now is it's tough to do before the all-star break, even if it gives you a break. Like they probably should try it some in March and see how it goes in spurts to see how you can do it. But you also need to be able to, to identify like, no, like we just don't have that in our bag. Like whatever we do, right. we just can't do that. I I asked uh, Pat Bev about that after the Chicago game on Friday. And you just I just saw him like hang his head because he knows, man, right? He knows what it t- you need to have. You need to be able to switch in the playoffs, too. And I asked him about it. And he goes, yeah, we've been wanting to do this all year, but. Now Finch isn't going to let us because (laughs) he's just like, he's just like sad. He's like, well, we're sucking, you know, we've added more of it and you know, well, you haven't played good defense. So I do think ultimately this is going to come back around. Let's, let's take a quick break here and we'll be back in a second with Matt. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. 
We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Chase Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, we are back with Matt Moore of the Action Network. We're talking about what the hell is going on with the, the Timberwolves defense here this past month. And the answer we know is a lot. Um, it a lot has gone into why this has and hasn't worked over the worked over the course of the whole season. I think the most interesting question as it pertains to the rest of the year is can it bounce back? Right. And this is this goes to the Nuggets theory. This was Adam's theory before the beginning of the season was great couple months, drops off, and then it comes back. And I pulled up the numbers from that from that 2018-19 season this year. And if you go up to January 1st that year for the Nuggets, they're eighth in defense. January 1st to February 14th, which is today, they go to 23rd. And the Wolves this year, it's the exact same pretty much. 11th in defense to start the year. It's even if you go a little bit further back in their top 10. And now, since January 1st, it's 17th while playing some pretty inferior opponents for the most of that month. So it's just the dip has come. Now is the bounce back going to come? Do you anticipate that? Like, are we just assuming that this is going to come back around or is it likely? I kind of anticipate it coming back around. Um, I'd have to look at their schedule and like really get a sense for like which teams they face. It's not even about like, that's what I love about the scheme stuff. It's not even about how good the teams you face because there are teams that you can run this against that are really good and they'll just be annoyed by it. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that, or there's really bad teams. Yeah. You know who torched him up with it was the magic. Yeah. Cole Anthony was just splitting yep. it. He was just splitting and he was getting to the middle, no short roll. He would get to the middle and then he's, he's able to create out of there, find guys in the corner. Wagner went off for like 30 some against him. Like you're right. It, it, your best point here is personnel. This, this is a personnel specific scheme. Yeah. And I think they will improve because stuff like splitting it, like that's stuff that you just like pay more attention to and you just get better at. Um, yes, I, I will also say this. It, I think it helps across the, the course of a series because it is the one scheme that you can make small adjustments to based off of the personnel. As you get more of a scouting report, it gets a lot easier to be like, because the Nuggets have done this where they're like, you know what? Let's dare that short roll guy. They did this with Portland last year. Like, let's go back to that example mm-hmm. where in the beginning they were so worried about Nurkic that they were just like getting run over and like they weren't stopping him and the shooters were getting open looks and it was, it was tough. So instead they started being like, let's make Nurkic make a few more plays. Like let's dare him. Let's see if he can beat Aaron Gordon to the spot or beat our guys to the spot. And they wound up drawing charges on him, which got him in foul trouble, which took him out. And then they, they ate versus Cantor freedom now. Um, So there's like all these ways that you can kind of adjust. The other thing I would say is that in the back half of the season, one of the things that may actually help them is being in the play-in spot. 
if they're still in that play-in spot, Dallas doesn't slide, or if they're competing to get in or out of that play-in spot, that actually I think helps because you need a motivating factor to keep you in yep. and keep you playing at a high level. And those, this is going to be good because those last 15 games, you're going to be playing in a lot of games where it's like, Oh, they really need this one for tiebreaker. Oh, they really need this one. You know, they, if they win this one, they catch up on Dallas by a game or whatever it is, that high level of, of effort. That's really the issue here is that over the course of a season, everyone's trying to figure out the best way to you. You want to play the best basketball you can, but it's hard to play your best basketball for six months, which is how long the regular <laughs> season is. So you play great the first two months and good the last two yeah. months, and you'll be in a pretty good spot. So you've kind of slid along to the the other thing I want to ask you about, which is this seating in the West. And I think it you're right. That is going to be a motivator for this team. I know. I mean, it's the stated goal of Finch of Gupta, of all the guys on the team, like six seed. We don't want to be in the plan. We want to we want to get that six seed. And as it's lined up right now, I mean, I think we know the top four in the West is going to be Suns, Warriors, Grizzlies, Jazz. We now have kind of from five, I would say five is open to some extent with the Mavs there, the Nuggets at six, the Wolves at seven, Clippers, Lakers, Blazers, Pelicans. That's kind of who's all in the mix here. For you, when you're looking at that 5-6, who do you think the two most likely teams are to be in those two spots? From a probability standpoint. Right, that's what I'm going yeah, for. Yeah, it's it's Denver 5, Minnesota 6. Um, Dallas. So you're thinking a really big Dallas drop-off. So a lot of it is that when you look at Dallas for the entire course of the season, they outperformed expectations by such a wide margin early. And then Mm -hmm. their numbers have kind of stabilized in terms of the expected record in large part because they went through that slump without Luca where they were getting destroyed, right? So that evens things out if you're losing with a, a bad point differential. But kind of what the early story was, was like they shouldn't be as good as they are in record but here they are anyway. Now they'll lose KP. They're out KP and THJ. I don't have any faith. Right, in, that one's huge. I don't have any faith in Bertons, like giving them a big boost. Dimwi is obviously like it's a huge X factor because of his personality. Like the entire Wizards team wanted him gone. So I don't know how that's going to fit. They seem to have gone back to a much more, we're just going to run heliocentric Lucas stuff. We're just going to have every, like Luca do everything. I think that has negative effects overall. Um, some of their defensive luck is, it's not so high. It's not like the Knicks last year where every single one of us was just like, oh, we're definitely betting against the Knicks in the playoffs. Like, absolutely. (laughs) This team is not going to be as good. Um, it's not that bad, but it's enough to be like, you know what? I could see some fall off, some drop off. Denver's schedule is so easy and they are likely to get Murray and possibly an MPJ back that cumulative effect makes me think that they probably make a little bit of a running into the five spot. Minnesota, I think is going to have a chance. I think it's probably going to be within a game or two of of Dallas. I think those that's probably going to be very, very close, but I would lean towards Minnesota right now over Dallas based off of the entire situation. It's also possible that Luca just decides, Nope, I'm going to go on an absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to average a 30 point triple double for a month and nobody's going to catch us. That's possible. But the most probable outcome to me uh, based off of who they've been the entire season for both of these teams is that Minnesota winds up getting the six. So you led that with statistically speaking or probability speaking. And I do think we need to factor in that the Wolves are three games behind the Mavs right now. Mm-hmm. 
and there's only 25 to go. Yep. So I think I'm with you on all that. I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how hard it is or how hard it will be to make up three games. Like that kind of feels like a lot to me. And on the other side of it though, glass half full, they're like three games. The wolves are like three games ahead of the Clippers and the Lakers and those teams. So that gives me, I guess that gives me some pause in putting them into the five or six, but also gives me some confidence that they won't be passed up by the Clippers or the Lakers or any of those teams. Do you feel like any of those teams below the Wolves have a shot at passing them? Not the Norman Powell injury. I think that really yeah. hurts them. You know, PG comes back and maybe they look better. The Everyone's very confused about what's going on with Kawhi because Ty Lue's like, he's not coming back. And then there's like reports that he could come back. Like nobody knows. Like just nobody knows right. what's going to happen with Kawhi. And I think that it's hard to get a feel for what's going to go beyond that. Um, I kind of at this point have to think that the Lakers are not going to get there, right? There's, I mean, they are, they're only four back in the loss column from the Wolves, which is not a huge amount. But at this point, I kind of have to be like, you're going to have to show me that you're an above 500 team before I believe that you're an above 500 team. Um, Portland, Pelican, Spurs can't catch them. So it's really just, I think the Clippers Mm -hmm. is can the Clippers catch the Wolves. Um, and even then, if you just, if you kind of do a, a line of demarcation there between the Lakers and the Blazers, what you really want is you just want one of those top two is if you're going to be in the play in, it does it help going on the road for that first game or no, like, would you rather be at home? Absolutely. But you still got two right. chances. If you're in that top two, you, you should be mm-hmm. good. If you're in that top two, um, it's just, it's not even to me, the like sourness of being in the play in. Because like you said, yeah, they're probably not going to lose two of them. It, what I'm looking at is, okay, now you're the seven or eighth seed and you're playing the Suns or the Warriors. Yeah. Like, I, to me, it's actually very clear that the Wolves' best matchup in a playoff series is the Grizzlies. Yeah. Like Utah, Utah will mess them up too. Yeah. Like I, I, I'd, I'd rather, I think the Wolves would rather play the Grizzlies than the Jazz. Um. So that's why the six, I think, has this even extra sort of allure to it. Because if you go, you go Warriors or Suns, I mean, that series isn't going, might not even go five games. I think here's the issue. I would say this is the issue. And this has been kind of the problem from the beginning, which is like everyone kind of wants them because they're older, right? They're not like the super young team. Like Kat's been around a while and D'Angelo's been around a while. They want like this, the huge jump. They want the Memphis here where it's like you're a top three seed and you're the talk of the league. And like the Wolves were... And the Jimmy Butler year where it was like, hey, look at the Wolves, right? For for half the season. <laughs> I actually think it might be better for them to honestly get into a playoff environment and have it be like, okay, these are the teams that you're up against. This is how good you're going to have to be. This is Dude, how I think specifically for Ant. Yeah. Specifically for Ant. I think that will be such a critical yeah. learning like, for him. You need to see like, this is how far away you are. Because that tells the players how far away they are. And it tells the front office like, okay, we can build a playoff team. But you know, and we can factor in internal development. Like Vando will probably get better and Ant's going to get better and some of these guys. But if we're going to get to that level, what's going to take us there? And those are hard decisions. You have to, I think, though, evaluate that. Like Memphis isn't an interesting, like Memphis this year, I think is a fascinating one because they make the play in the first year, they lose to the Blazers. Uh, they win the play in last year versus Golden State, a monumental win. And the Jazz just absolutely eviscerate them in the final four games of that series. They win the first one off of momentum, no Donovan, and then they get just destroyed. I still have questions about Memphis this year where it's like, okay, you're this really, you're the most fun team in the league. Like Memphis is the most fun team in the league. 
I love watching them. Anyone that watches them, it's just like, this is so much fun. Against teams that focus on execution, like Phoenix and Utah, the the degree, your margin for error is so small, especially when you play this chaotic style. So the question yeah. is just like, can you get, you know, how, how can you get there? So in Minnesota, if you get Memphis and you get past them, that can actually be dangerous in my opinion, because what it can do is it can make you be like, no, no, no. Like we're just like one step away. Like we made the second round. Like all we had to, you know, we've made the second round and we were down, you know, we, we were, we took two off of the warriors and, you know, because of injury or whatever else, or just the circumstances and it can lull you into this false sense of security. I actually think sometimes getting eviscerated in the playoffs could be a good thing just to be like, no, no, no. Like, you're good. You have something here, but you're going to have to be aggressive both at a player level and on a front office level to get where you want to go. So first example of not being aggressive for the Wolves was not doing anything at the deadline. Um, how do you, how do you feel about that? They didn't, there's needs on this team and they didn't address any of them. I, I mean, I, I kind of, this is one where I like, I defer to you where you're going to have a better sense. The, the question I think that you ha- have to get to, you can make the conversation about Malik and, you know, can you get something for him? Look, Malik's, <laughs> Malik's got a, a pretty substantial contract he's got in terms of money. Um, he, he's got the off-court issues yeah. in the background. Not a, an extremely smart defender. Hasn't become like a, you got to start this guy level dude. I just don't know that the value was there around the league. Like when I asked around about it, it was just like, eh, you know, if somebody's looking for a shooter, then okay. But there just weren't a lot of teams looking for a shooter. Everyone was looking for bigs. And Minnesota needed to keep their bigs. Um, to me, like the big way to like upgrade the team is D'Angelo. And I just don't know the dynamics of trading D'Angelo yeah. when you have Cat. Like that to me does seem like eventually. Yeah, that was off the table for yeah. for this for this time. I think it was only like only stayed in the ether a little bit and you contributed to this with just the idea of the Sixers move or just being involved in it even as the third team that was the only way at the deadline that D'Angelo was going to be involved in it I'm not saying that Gupta or whoever the Finch or what is like long-term long-term committed to D'Angelo but they're way more committed to D'Angelo this year than they were you know six months ago and right he's earned it you know and he's absolutely he's yeah enough to deserve it. and that's a good sign and i will say like the situation is kind of interesting with d'angelo the same way it is with um chicago and levine even though zach's been like a way better player and the reason i say that is i am fairly confident that our tourist carnestovas arrived in chicago with the intention of being like all right we'll see what levine does but i'm probably going to move him and i'm not a big fan mm-hmm. And then like Levine became an all NBA level guard. And then all of a sudden our tourist is like, well, I guess I got this guy now. And, <laughs> and that's just like how it goes. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, but that will be like the question I think long-term is do you, you know, if you're going to make the leap, D'Angelo is going to have to be probably the guy that you move, but there are ramifications that with the locker room and with a number of things. So you got to, right. that one's a delicate situation. I think the balance. Yeah, I, I think the more likely or it just the the focus more so was on the margins and and getting a big, you know, Nas is good at stuff, but he's not a rebounder. He's he's not physical on the interior. And so this actually kind of loops back into our whole drop versus whatever your coverage is conversation. 
where a lot of the bigs you could go out and get are guys who could exclusively play drop. And what I've been kind of saying is like, and that's still the case now in the buyout market. And everyone's like, oh, you know, go get an Enos Cantor, go get a Moses Brown or whatever. And I'm like, yo, no, that is exclusively like those guys can only play one sort of way. And and I get it. I get it. You have limited options on the buyout market. Like you're not going to get a guy who can rebound well, get out on the level, switch, yeah. all that. Like, no, that doesn't exist on the buyout market. And it probably didn't exist for like one or two second round pick. I mean, Denver, they tried to do it last year with JaVale McGee, right? And they gave up two seconds for him. And that ended up not really doing anything for them. He didn't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he had very little impact. Yeah, he didn't play for the rest of the season. Everyone's a little sore about that here because everyone's like, why didn't he play? But uh, here's what I would Mm. say. Um, I can tell you on the trade market, from what I heard, everyone wanted to back up big. Everybody. Everybody wanted to back up big. The Spurs, the Wizards, the Raptors, the Lakers, the Bulls, the Nuggets. Like, everybody. That's why Jalen Smith, the 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 Suns, to my understanding, had eight different offers for Jalen Smith, which is why. Now, mm. it wasn't like the super competitive market of people being like, I'll give you like my, you know, great role yeah. player. But it was just that's how many teams were on the market for it. And one of the reasons I think that so many so few of them actually picked up one outside of Toronto who got that young is because what you're basically saying is. If you have like a franchise center, and most of them do, or if you have a starter that you feel comfortable with, in the playoffs, you're playing that guy 35 minutes. So are you going to give up assets? Are you going to give up second rounders to get a guy that you're going to play after the, for 25 games after the All-Star break? Because right. when the playoffs come, most of those guys are unplayable. That's why I think Toronto went and got that young. Is Toronto's like, well, we can play that. Like, Young right. can play in a playoff series. He's a veteran and he's good. But no one is looking at... at freedom and looking and going like hey yeah. we could definitely use him in a playoff series like nobody our playoff yeah, yeah, no, everybody no. knows the deal so yeah. that, that's a lot of it is if you're gonna have a guy if you're gonna get back up big um and this is honestly this is one of the uh issues with having a foundational center because it's so pivotal in these pick and roll situations mm-hmm. is it, like this is the whole thing with utah if you ask me like what does utah need I think Rudy Gobert is one of the most impactful defensive players of all time. He is incredible, multiple-time defensive player of the year. What they need to be able to do is say, Rudy, this is not the series for you. We're going to Rudy Gay or Eric Pascal. We're playing five out. We're switching everything because that's what works against this team. It's very hard to do that when you have a foundational center. It's even harder when you have it when that guy is so foundational on offense, right? right. Like That's really the key. So the question I think for the Wolves is going to be, you know, can you get into a playoff series and can you, if like, if you have to switch, can you survive a handful of possessions, like a couple of stretches a game with Kat switching on to whoever the primary guard is? And I think there's probably more upside to that than most people would think just because. Yeah, I do too. Like if the, op- let me put it this way. If the options are putting Kat in space versus Steph Curry, which is an absolutely terrifying prospect or the idea of playing drop versus Steph Curry. You take the switch every time and just live with it. He beats your guy. Well, and he Matt, beats your guy. What, what's important, it, it goes back to the asking Jokic what he wants to do thing. If you ask Kat what he wants to do, he wants to do the switch. Yeah. He wants to switch out on Steph Curry. He doesn't want to play drop. He hasn't wanted to play drop the first six years of his career. He's he's dropped plenty of nuggets, I guess pun intended there, over the over the course of the past, you know, certainly since Tibbs where he's like, I can do this. I can do this. It's not what we're doing right now. 
And I think with him, you know, cats wired how cats wired, like you push that button, you yeah. just want to. And I think that I think that makes I think that makes a big difference. So yeah, I'm not I'm not too concerned about it. Like, yeah, you don't want Nas out there switching. He absolutely got roasted by DeMar DeRozan on Friday. Like that's gonna that's gonna happen. But as people are frustrated and the Wolves give up like 23 offensive rebounds again last night, that their last in defensive rebound rate the whole season. And you're like, damn, like they got three second round picks in in this upcoming draft. Like, how could we not move one or two of those for a guy who can just rebound? And the answer to that is, is why they didn't do it is exactly what you're talking about, where it just, it was going to be impactful for these 25 games, yeah. maybe to just have a big body five to rebound. But that big body guy, if he could only play drop, was not going to play yeah. in the play-in or in the, the Wolves' first playoff series if it was going to happen. So I, I kind of I get it. The only strong case I see against it is I'm like, what are you going to do with a first and three seconds yeah. in this upcoming draft? That's too much. But, you wait, like, but that's the whole thing is you wait for the playoff run and then you use it to upgrade it after draft. Like you go, that's when you yes. go shopping. The other thing I'd say is, um, you know, look, you're going to have weaknesses no matter what. Like you're going to have something that's that's like a weakness. And Embiid's a good exa- example of this because he's such a phenomenal defender. He's one of the best defenders in the league. You have to play drop with him. And you could be like, well, yeah, but he's really good at drop. Okay, but Trey Young hit 800 floaters versus him in that playoff series because yeah. they can't play up. And like, you're always going to have to give up something. The other thing I, w- I would probably say is um, when you look at the rebound level, like that's something that if you're going to give up something, that's an that's an effort thing that you can probably get past in a playoff series if everybody's playing at the highest capacity. And again, you, know, you mentioned like the plan for these X amount of games you got to focus on what's going to get the biggest thing here is sometimes you do have, and I've talked to, to a few executives about this, about trying to balance fixing your weaknesses versus extenuating your strengths. They always want to try and extenuate their strengths. You'd rather be great at what you're good at than constantly be trying to plug holes everywhere. If there's an mm-hmm. obvious need you try and you have to address it, but I don't think the wolves are in a spot where, you know, defensive rebounding off the bench is such a, a drastic need that you want to commit assets to it at the same. Well, and you just lose, you lose your strength. Yeah. You, that what the wolves are last in rebounding their first in turnovers generated. Yeah. You put a big, you put a big body center out there. That is your, when he's on the floor, your turnover rate is going to go down. Yeah. Turnovers generated rate is going to go down. I, I have one last question for you. I'm keeping you a little bit longer than I said, sure. but um, you are a member of the national media. And the national media votes on all NBA. I don't know if you specifically have a vote for that or not, but you are very good at at breaking down all the awards. I know it's something you spend a lot of time taking seriously. And I'm curious where you're at with Carl Anthony Towns making an all NBA team, which I'll preface with being extremely critical because he is extension eligible this summer. And if he makes all NBA, we're talking about a four year, $200 million contract. First off, requisite disclaimer, uh, I, I feel comfortable speaking for like all of us in the media, like all mm-hmm. of us, you, me, everyone, and saying none of us were ever like, you should definitely put $50 million decisions in our hands. That's what you should do. <laughs> Not a single one of us ever thought that was a good idea. None of us thought that was a good plan. Um, yeah. That's something that the players need to negotiate in the next CBA. That is how they need to take care of this. Is they like get in the negotiating yeah. room and get us out of it because none of us want that that kind of influence. Um, but it's here, man. This is it. Yeah. This is it. It, it happened to Cat in after 2018 where he didn't or 
whatever, 2017 when he signed his extension and he didn't, he didn't make all NBA. So he was, he signed it. I think it cost him 39 million. I think that's what that, the difference was on that deal. So much money. I think, I oh, think he it's, was, he was, uh, you could yeah. see like when we go on the road and there'd be like some national media people, like he had his list. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say names, but like, and Kat is very, very cordial with the media. I very much respect that. But when some people were, would come along who he knew didn't vote for him that year, when I think it is fair to say he deserved it that year or was yeah. he had a strong case yeah. at least, he, he, yeah, he kept, he kept names on that. But that goes back to the, the original point. Yeah, I think the problem is just like, look, Jokic and Embiid are getting two of the spots. And then if Utah finishes with a top four seed, given Gobert's importance to them on both sides of the floor, it's just really difficult, I think, for yeah the voters to get past that because you're you're now look I don't but how many games has Gobert missed I should have I should have researched this uh I would say he's probably missed 15 yeah that sounds about right that sounds about right. yeah I I mean that that's the factor I'm I'm with you like Utah if Utah does what I mean and they've won what five straight like they're gonna get the three or the four seed it's gonna be hard and if Rudy has played through all that it's gonna be hard to make the case for Cat in the seven or eight seed over him but I think the window here is that Rudy's missed time and who knows, you know, could, could potentially miss more time. Yeah. Uh, Rudy has missed 14 games so far. Um, and so that can be an argument. I will just say all NBA does not, the only award that gets games played scrutiny are rookie of the year and MVP. Those are the only two games, two awards that historically that that's been like a significant, okay. um, cut off i think there will probably be votes for cat just based off of the fact that a lot of people feel like i do where i'm like okay but like gobert can't score on his own like at some level like you need to be able to actually produce offense on your own Like that's the thing that you should be able to do if you were the third best center in the league for an all nba he can't and that should probably matter um the wolves improvement on defense i think will help but the problem is just gonna be the wins like if the wolves wind up just a handful of games over 500 it's just hard to get to that level. Usually those guys, especially it's not just Gobert. Like there will probably be some people that are like, well, what about Vucevic? And yeah, I mean, Vucevic yeah. has not had a good season. And so I think that his numbers would probably fail, like tail off compared to Cat, unless he goes on some sort of like really great streak. He's been playing well lately. I think Cat's got a pretty- I think it'd be more like Jared Allen. Yeah, be, Jared Allen's like another, he's like another guy that I think was going to get a lot of consideration because they're going to want to reward somebody from Cleveland. I would say I think Cat's probably got a better chance than Jared Allen. I think he's probably got a better chance than Bucevic. I think it really is just Gobert. If Gobert misses more time, maybe that opens the door. If the Jazz fall off, then maybe that opens the door. Um, it's going to be hard just because not only is it there's a go, Cat's got like lingering perceptions of him, right? Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, a lot of what people are going to remember about the Wolves right now is they're just going to be like. I remember Anthony Edwards being awesome. Like ants and mm-hmm. that's like a whole other long term. Well, no, there, there's a very cynical path to go down with this of and this is a reality of the award voting and the people who are voting on it. A lot of them will not have watched the Wolves play very much this season. That is just a fact. That's correct. And now it's and like, another but yeah. It's still yeah. I mean, it's less than it used to be. There's still gonna it's the Timberwolves we're talking about here, mm-hmm. you know. So, so that I think that's a, a detracting factor from Cat getting it over Gobert because I, you know, Gobert is just more known. He has more pedigree of the Defensive Players of the Year and all that. Like this stuff goes into those people's heads, 
And then also another factor is Cat is is not having a career high in points, not having a career high in rebounds, not a career high in twos, in threes, in anything. In anything. Yeah. This is not, if you just pull up his basketball reference page, again, cynically speaking, what people are going to do when they're considering this yeah. stuff, this is not going to pop as Cat's best statistical year. But as we've just been talking about this whole time, you know why Cat's rebounds are not at like 11 anymore and they're down to nine? It's because he's out at the level. Oh, yep. <laughs> and it's because you have Jared Vanderbilt who's getting rebounds. Like it's not that Cat is become, I mean, Cat's never been an elite rebounder, I would say, even when he was averaging like 12. He rebounds his zone very well. He doesn't rebound outside of his zone yeah. at, at a high level. So I'm just, I think when this conversation comes up and we start talking about who is going to, being all in, all NBA, I think some people who haven't been watching the Wolves as much, which again, I understand national media, it's your job to cover 30 teams. They're going to point to the stats and they're going to point to career low in rebounds. I and I, I think that is going to be a dumb argument. I think a lot of it, whenever I talk about, about the award stuff, I try and stress this. You got to look at the voter block and you got to try and chop it into sections. The beat writers are, are a tricky one here, all right? The beat writers are big chunk there's analysts like zach Lowe, kevin pelton um you have what i refer to as like it's talking head but it's basically folks that are on tv right you got studio hosts uh play-by-play color commentator those kind of people although i will say um, amongst those reggie miller reggie miller is exceptional he does more research i found than almost anybody else um hmm. and then you got like international media and you got like a handful of columnists whatever kind of like uh legacy guys thrown in like howard beck at si and such um, and they, everybody kind of has their own skew. The beat writers do make up, I think a huge chunk of it. And that's good and bad news for cat because the beat writers will be like, you know, that wolves team was actually really good this year. And cat like gave more of a crap on defense than he has ever like given, like he has really been involved and engaged and they were, they are really good. The problem is like those guys, those are also the people they're likely to know, like, you know, it was really awesome. Cause I saw him four times and his impact doesn't get noticed enough. is Rudy Gobert and how well he plays defense at all levels. So it's it's kind of a two-edged sword. Um, Cat might actually get a bump from the from the narrative folks, just because I think he's a sexier pick than than Gobert. Um, I can see it being mm-hmm. close, but I do kind of lean towards. You're right that at the end of the day, a lot of the a lot of the voters, I'll say this: you have to do so much work for all these different ones, and you have to pick and choose where you're going to put your time and your effort. A lot of them will get to that last spot and just be like, eh, Gobert, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And if it's on. Zach Lowe's podcast or in his column of that's who he ended up yep. coming to the decision with that. I, I remember last time I asked around basically all the people I know who have a vote and I asked them about that third all NBA spot. It was also cat versus Gobert, And the majority of the people that I asked about it, they referenced Zach Lowe picking Gobert over cat that year where it was, it was a, it was a toss up sort of thing, yep. but he is, to use that term, he is an influencer in that sort of way. This is just this is just critical, and I'll leave you on this because I <laughs> I know you're with me here. Like, Cat getting this all NBA will lead to that extension, and if not, if he doesn't get all NBA and can't sign the four year two hundred million dollar contract, then we wait. I don't think Cat will just sign at the the lesser rate. He still has two years left, so so there will be time, and that. If you are in limbo, if you're in that Giannis type limbo that the Bucks were in, right? Where you're like, okay, he's kind of got the leverage now because he hasn't signed. He hasn't signed. Like, it's just going to be critical. I, I think it will really define how and where the Wolves build this thing out because 
if you got cat locked in this summer for the two years remaining plus four on top of that, I mean, that totally changes the trajectory to one year. And you're like, well, is he going to sign an extension? Like, we don't know. Oh, is he going to make us trade for this guy and that guy? All that, you know, it, it, and it, it hits you with a leverage and power dynamic that I don't think you want to be a part of. Yeah. It, it's, this gets really complicated. And on top of that, look, we, we've seen other teams basically shy, especially in these markets, shy away from those contracts. It, yep. the, the ownership sees the number and no matter how rich they are, they seem to balk a little bit. And so with new ownership, and again, you know this better than I do. Like, I don't know. That's going to be a whole variable. I don't, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know I what don't they're going to do. So that's that's a, a factor here too. I just think it's regrettable that the decision is out. <laughs> I'll say that, you know, the owners just like, this is how the owners want it because it saves them money, right? That like, oh, it's not my, I didn't choose to not give you the extension or they give you this extra yeah. money. The media <laughs> did. It, it takes the onus <laughs> off of them, but it's also just like, man, you should, yeah. you, they should want to change this because if you want to keep your guy, you don't have a mechanism to do that in this instance. Because you you can't influence all these media people. You can't. But I mean, you know, there's only so many ways that you can do it to whatever degree. Right. You can't, you know, you can't make up this difference. If another guy's better, another guy's better. Even if you're, that, that's where this always kind of gets into is if your guy has an amazing season, but somebody else has a more amazing season, especially at center where we still have centers at the NBA spots. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, and it's just, it's just messy because. Because then I think if you're in Cat's head, you start thinking about the fact that you missed out on this extra bag two separate times on your two well, biggest contracts. And you go, if I would have been in L.A., if I yes, would have been somewhere else, so people were watching problem. me. You know? That's the problem. That's is that the problem. If, is if Cat's doing this for the Los Angeles Lakers, Rudy Gobert could be averaging Wilt Chamberlain numbers and it would not matter. Like, that's the real yep. frustration point is if he's doing this for the Lakers, the Knicks or the Bulls, it does not matter what Rudy Gobert is doing. He's, he's first team. He's second or third team All-NBA. No question. Which loops back to why this is just stupid. It is a stupid, yep. it is a stupid setup for it. All right, Matt. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving me some time. I'm sure maybe we'll check back in closer towards the end of the season. I think Wolves fans are all hoping that you and Adam are both correct that this thing does slingshot or what, what's the no. word for that? It goes up and then down. Just my messages of Wolves fans and the Wolves, like. Don't panic. Everything's fine. Like, you guys are good. Just, again, I know. every time there's, like, a dip, like, the whole community's like, oh, God. And I'm, I get it from all the years that it's been, I understand. I've watched the Wolves and all the disasters. I know. It's yeah. okay. Like, this foundation is pretty strong. Just hang in there. Yeah. No, that's, that's, the, it's just new, man. This is new to us. This yeah. Is, this, it's been a, it's been a long time in the wilderness. The whole time I've covered this team, it's been nothing but, so it's just different. Every game has has more value to it, which makes it more fun to cover, to watch as a fan. I mean, people are, you know, tuned, tuned into this team. It's just with success comes anxiety. <laughs> Whether that be about your seating or about Cat's future or whatever it might be. But the main point is they're in a pretty good spot. They're in a conversation to, you know, get out of this play-in. And that's a success. And that's a big, you know, a big credit to, to Chris Finch. So I appreciate you coming on, Matt. Um, you guys can all follow everything Matt does over at the Action Network. Of course, follow him on Twitter at Hardwood Paroxysm. Talk to you soon, man. Thanks for having me. All right. I will talk to you all after the Hornets game on Tuesday night. Until then, he's Matt. I'm Dane. 